so that, that makes it extreme. So if somebody's not like completely evaporated from society, then are, are they still not canceled? Hello, everyone. Thanks again so much for joining us here in the Caves of Altamira for episode eight. Uh, today, we are going to be delving into what I like to call the Great Woke Wars of the 2020s. Um, we're just about a year in, but it seems that this is something that has really emerged as a central topic, taking up a huge amount of space and coverage, people weighing in with a host of different takes, to say the least, about whether this is good or bad. And people being overly woke? Is free speech being curtailed? Is this just the rise of a new assertive political force in American society that has long been stifled and silenced and marginalized? There's just a lot going on and a lot of heat and friction being created around these kinds of concepts of woke and cancel culture and resistance to dominant patriarchy or white male patriarchy, depending on one's position, right? And so what I really wanted to do and kind of in line with the Caves of Altamira's mission is have an episode that digs into these things and hopefully gets into some of the core undercurrents that are driving these phenomenon. And luckily, I was able to reach out to someone who has been one of the more interesting and provocative voices in this debate, someone who I think adds a lot to the discussion. What you're going to see today is a little bit of a change up in the format. Uh, normally, these are structured as kind of a discussion as much as a interview. Um, but today, I'd say it pushes a little bit more into the realm of a debate, a dialogue, kind of an exchange. Me and our guest, Chris Tharp, share some ideas about these matters, but um, also diverge in certain areas. And I think beyond the quality of the ideas and perspective that Chris brings to the table, I think this discussion we have serves as a model where these things need not devolve into a kind of binary way that people kind of get defensive and, and hyper accusatory and, and it just becomes a whole mess of crossfire and so forth. The discussion doesn't shy away from things we disagree in and points of disagreement, but it carries on with a commitment to mutual respect and a genuine attempt to understand where each other is coming from. So I think the discussion we have today is really emblematic of what the Caves of Altamira is trying to do. So I really think this is a great discussion and I'm so excited. So before we get to the discussion, I do want to take a minute just to tell you a little bit more about our guest today, Chris Tharp. Chris hails originally from the Pacific Northwest. Uh, he has called Korea home for over 15 years. He is a regular contributor to National Geographic Traveler UK, as well as the Asia Times, and his award-winning work has also appeared in the Green Mountains Review, Foreign Literary Journal, Traveler's Tales, Matador Network, San Diego Reader, among others. He's author of two books, one being The Dispatches from the Peninsula, and the other a collection of essays on travel titled The Worst Motorcycle in Laos. Both are available on Signal 8 Press, and you can follow him on Facebook uh, under his name Chris Tharp, and we'll put a link to his Twitter handle at Chris Tharp Expat uh, in the show notes. 
he currently lives in Busan with his wife and a houseful of animals. And and I can tell you that is, you know, when we say a houseful of animals, he's he's got a houseful of animals. And uh, Chris and his wife um, are just really really amazing people. They've they've taken in and sheltered so many animals um, over the years, and uh, it it is a amazing sight to see the cats, hedgehogs. Um, I used to house sit for Chris once upon a time, and um, they really do run a little sanctuary for animals, and it's it's a it's a really a beautiful thing. As you can see, Chris is is a prolific writer. Uh, he's just one of the more fascinating people I've ever met in my life, and uh, I know we have some people listening here from Busan, so I don't need to tell you much about him. But Chris is just a kind of pillar of the Busan expat community, and just someone who has such a host of talents. He's got hands in music. Um, he used to run a comedy room in Korea. Uh, he's you know, obviously written several books. He's traveled extensively. He is just a, a singular individual. It's really hard to capture here, so I'm, I'm going to kind of leave it there. But uh, I really recommend you dig into some of Chris's writing, um, certainly pick up his books. He just has a unique perspective on the world. Uh, and I think you can get a glimmer of that in our discussion today. So just Stay up to date on all things Chris Tharp. And uh, thank you so much to all of our listeners. Uh, we've really been doing great in terms of uh, downloads and participation and people following us on Podbean and, and so forth. Always ask you, please rate and review on whatever uh, podcast platform you use. And just thanks so much to those who have been loyal and listening to the show. And as always, we invite you to join our Facebook group and please leave a comment. Um, you can also leave a comment on the Facebook page. Uh, if you have any thoughts or if, if there's a topic you wanted to see us discuss, I'm always happy to take suggestions and ideas. And I hope everyone uh, enjoys the conversation today. And let's get to it. Okay, Chris Tharp, thanks so much for joining us here in the Caves of Altamira. Uh, great to be here, Kevin. Our topic today, uh, I've titled this episode, uh, The Great Woke Wars of the 2020s. <laughs> uh, I, know we, I, know, I know we're just we're only a year into the 2020s, but this is a thing. I mean, this is obviously, this has become a thing and that people talk about and complain about and have very strong feelings about and a lot of accusations and counter accusations and free speech and cancellation and you know, defenders of, of righteousness and justice. And, you know, I mean, to me, it's like we've been debating for thousands of years what even justice means. But uh, you know, it seems that <laughs> where these words are just getting tossed around. And so I, I want to have you on. I think you're one of the sharpest voices on this. And I think you have a lot of interesting ideas and some nuanced and thoughtful approaches to this. So that's why I'm so happy to have you on. So I want to just start like, to your mind, and I think this is always important because it, I don't, these things are so kind of new, they belie like precise definitions. So I'm, I would couch that in like your understanding, your engagement with these debates and discourses. Like, what are some of the parameters? Like, what's going on when we talk about cancel culture or being woke or social justice or, or in some ways trying to challenge a dominant culture, right? Because that's, I think, where we have two, two poles here, right? We have one side that thinks like they're kind of defending free speech and open discourse, and another side that's frames themselves as kind of challenging um, existing hierarchies and existing kind of mechanisms of oppression and so forth. So, I'll just throw that to you. Okay. Uh, 
That's a big one, uh, as they say, to, to unpack these days. That's one of the buzzwords <laughs> when I hear unpack. Everything's, I know. everything's oh, being unpacked. Here un- we go. That's the new thing inside the box, isn't it? A lot to unpack there. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, hey, can, I, can I just say one of my pet peeves now, too? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm just going to get this out of the way. Uh, I hear a lot of, too, it's worth noting. And I just find that to be so redundant. Like, if it's worth noting, like, you're saying it, obviously, because it's worth noting. Okay, sorry. (laughs) Just go ahead. Sorry. I mean, I guess we'll start with cancel culture. I mean, again, I would rather call it woke culture or wokeism, the great awakening, they call it. But these days, you see cancel culture everywhere. You know, and what does that really mean? I think it's a problematic word or phrase to begin with, because what do we mean by canceling? But obviously, when we talk about cancel culture, we're talking about when someone is attacked by an online, usually mob, for something they've written or said or or expressed. And usually there's a goal of the attackers. It's to shame their target, but usually to shut them down and ultimately make them lose their job or their position and and then, you know, have as little impact in society, you know, after that. It's to kind of go into a kind of social exile. Right. Uh, But, I mean, this is problematic because the word cancel and, and... when we've used this to describe what can happen to a human being, this is a new sort of development. I don't know who coined it, but it was only five or six years ago. It's really new. And so, on one hand, the woke squad will often say, oh, cancel culture doesn't exist. You know, this is, it's just consequence culture. Because, you know, these people still, they, they still get to breathe. They still get to drive a car, you know. Uh, they, they can still work another job, maybe make money. So, I mean, this idea that cancellation means you're totally erased from the public discourse you have to go live in a monastery or something maybe so that that makes it extreme so if somebody's not like completely evaporated from society then are are they still not canceled because you can cancel a speech you can cancel a book deal there's a lot of ways you can can you can cancel somebody's contract to work at a university and so these are all kind of cancellations so uh so in that way i think cancel culture is a real thing uh, even though I'm uncomfortable with calling it a culture, it's just uh, it's more like a movement or a phenomenon, you know? Right. Well, let's uh, let's do some more unpacking here. Yeah, we got a, we bought a bunch of suitcases. <laughs> I got a ton of freaking suitcases yeah. here. A lot of unpacking to do. Um, but well, I want to I want to back up to one thing you said is that you know this is a fairly new phenomenon, and and I. On one level, agree, but on another level, kind of not necessarily agree. Where I think obviously goes without saying that social media and especially Twitter seems to be like a hive of cancellation. I'm not on Twitter, but from what people tell me, that's like a kind of a hive of you know where these things kind of go down. You yeah, know, Twitter is the the amplification chamber, right? Well, and, and so really gets it, its mojo. Right. And so that's a new modality. Sure. Um, even that's not even like 10 years where Twitter's been like a major thing, but that certainly is new, right? That, that you can post someone like someone said X, Y, and Z in, you know, 2014 or 2010 and have 3 million people commenting on it, right? And, and so forth, right? Like you couldn't do that. Literally, you could not do that 10 years ago. So yes, this is, that's, this is a new thing. But I also come at it from a perspective of, okay, what's really going on is there's a dynamic debate about kind of what is acceptable discourse and like what sorts of discourse or language 
as an act, as a public act um, in some ways, should bring upon some sort of censure or sanction. I mean, I, and to me, that is one of the core features of an open democratic society is that, that and, and in some ways it's never ending. It's all about where do you draw the line? I mean, we can think about it as the old debate about um, freedom, right? Like, you, I'm free to do what I want so long as it doesn't affect the freedom of others. Well, I mean, that sounds nice. And most people are like, yeah, that sounds good. But then, well, where's that line? We used to say, well, smoking, my right to smoke is supersedes, you know, the bad smell or whatever is around. And then we found out that smoke was deadly and everyone's like, eh, well, maybe that's not, maybe your right doesn't go that far. All is a way to say, like, the mechanics of this certainly have morphed and changed with technology, but the underlying issue of like, where is the line drawn is one, eternally nebulous and in, in constantly moving. And then, then the second question is, well, where, what, what is that line? And then what kinds of sanctions or censure are involved? Because I think all of us agree there is a line. And I think we have different ideas about where that line is drawn. But I don't think anyone, I don't think the debate is that like everything is cancelable or nothing is cancelable, right? So, I mean, just to, to make the absurd kind of point. <laughs> right? But I don't think anyone's making that point like, or, or making that argument. So, what no, are I'm we, not sure it's always this this good faith debate that you're sort of framing it. Uh, I don't think it's, I mean, well, I don't know if it has to be good faith. I mean, I think, I think politics is, is about power. Yes, of course. And that's what this is. I and mean, that's why a lot of this stuff is being weaponized as a wedge for power. And that's what concerns me. And also, it's not always about what people say publicly. Things that people are saying privately are now getting recorded or leaked or, mm. or uh, you know, somebody says, you know, somebody overhears it. And that is bringing people down, you know, like uh, just like within like Facebook or messaging services uh you know some people are sending videos or whatever and uh and people are losing, losing jobs and losing uh, their places to go into universities because of something they did when they were 15 a little video with their friends i mean this so it, it is pernicious i think you know we could okay we could example after example but uh you know, i'm taking the obviously the point of view that woke culture is ultimately toxic and before and before we even go into more i just anyone who's listening here my disclaimer is, one, is I'm a leftist. I'm a, I'm a uh, democratic socialist. I'm a far left-wing progressive who, be who believes in universal health care and universal income and housing as a right, all the bread and butter sort of Bernie Sanders leftist things. But I think mm. woke culture is extremely toxic to achieving these goals for reasons we'll go into later, perhaps. This is where I, I want to push back a little bit because, I mean, woke culture, like and we've discussed before, is it, it implies a unanimity. I mean, I think a, a lot of the sources and the rationales and the things, the reasons why people are doing these things are heterogeneous. They're mixed. And so I'm not sure, like, in some ways, like, if, if in hearing that, I get the idea that there's this mass of people that are fully in agreement on everything and then are moving in some sort of unanimity that I'm not really sure is borne out by what's actually happening. So I, I agree that like these, these, these kinds of Twitter mobs or whatever are forming and going after people and, and so forth. But it, it implies that there's like a kind of, it, it's acting like a state or something. Like it has this like cohesive, hierarchical, unitary function. Well, I mean, I'm, it's, it's obviously not that organized, but it is, there is a cohesiveness about it because much of this stuff was incubated and articulated in universities. 
and then through scholars uh, writing papers and writing books, uh, perpetuated a lot of these ideas or, or sort of spread them out. And now you can find a lot of these ideas are articulated and even aped on places like Medium and also on mm. Twitter. So there's a whole sort of literature that defines the sort of goals and objectives of what we call woke culture. Well, any, <laughs> and, even, and even in scholars, stuff like you know, critical race theory, which is the new well, movie, man. From the right, but I mean, any that, theory, any theory, or any explanations that positing like the rampant amount of power and influence of um, academic publications and papers, I'm, I'm, count me skeptical. Well, I mean, culturally, <laughs> no, these are, I know, I'm, I'm just having a laugh. Yeah, yeah I know, I, I, know. I, I get it. I, but what I'm saying is, like, and here's the thing: think about the like, and, and it's not just the right who's trotting out critical race theory as this kind of bogeyman. I'll use the British pronunciation. I like. Better than boogeyman. That, that, I'll give the Brits that one word, bogeyman. Pretty cool. Like this bogeyman. Um, I've read some critical race theory. It's pretty good. I've read some <laughs> junky stuff. I mean, it's not. I mean, like critical race theory is not like one person churning out a bunch of articles. It, it's hundreds, if literally not thousands, of scholars writing in different things and from different perspectives. And there's a it, to just kind of paint these broad brushes. Yeah. I think is where and in some ways. You know, the, Nietzsche always says, be, be careful how you choose your enemies, uh, right? You'll start to resemble them. I mean, I'm starting to see this in the counter kind of wokeism, not you per se, but I'm just saying like these broad brushes and these uh, like hidden yeah, I, bogeymans around every corner. And, I have and a couple of friends who, yeah, every time this comes up, it just they immediately start barking about critical race theory. That, that has become, uh, you know, just a stock phrase to, to sort of a, uh, start screaming to the rafters when I'm... Um... I was actually just listening to a podcast about Aristotle this morning um, to give you an idea of how exciting my life is. Um, <laughs> and they said, you know, Aristotle kind of always wrote, and I'm not comparing myself to Aristotle, of course, I'm, I'm, but just in terms of, uh, for this analogy, like Aristotle would always say, like, argue one point and then argue another and then try to position himself in the middle. And I, I, I guess where I'm coming into this, and I think this is where hopefully as, as we continue to discuss, we have a kind of good, some, some friction here, um, but we, we agree on some general ideas and some things that are um, perhaps uh, uncomfortable or things we're not you know, totally on board with. But I guess I'm kind of like, you know, that like first 10 minutes after you wake up, like I think that's where I am, you know? I don't, I don't know if I'm totally woke, but I'm not totally asleep. And so I'm kind of, I'm kind of in that like five-minute phrase just after you wake up. Um, that's my, that's where I'm at on the woke scale. I well, guess. I mean, like anything the political correctness and what we call, you know, wokeism, you know, comes from good intentions. Yeah. We want to make a more equitable society. We want to, you know, ameliorate racism and discrimination as much as possible. But mm. there's, there are legitimate questions on what are the good tactics? You know, what are the useful tactics on achieving this? And what I see right now with, uh, the sort of culture of shaming, and attacking and, and basically going after people for just freely expressing themselves to, to, uh, stifle free expression and free speech. Um, you know, this is pernicious and I, I think it's harmful. Right. And, and, it, and it runs anathema to, you know, everything or a lot that I hold dear, how I was brought up. We, you know, I'm a Gen X guy. You pretty much are too. We were brought up in the, in the shadow of the sixties where free expression and free speech was, 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 uh, really celebrated and, and we were taught to cherish that and now the younger generation of people don't really believe that they don't believe in free speech right yeah, they, we, they, they believe to a certain degree 
but they believe in very strong limits and this is a now of course uh, my other disclaimer is that i'm viewing this from south korea where i've been from 16 for 16 years now i haven't set foot in the states for almost two years so i mean i, I may be getting a warped sense of this i'm getting my information from the internet from videos from talking to people but microcosmically i've seen it here in korea the younger folks that have come let's say over the past 10 years and uh i have noticed a very different attitude about uh like jokes and expression and just kind of that they're not cool on the whole with a kind of just wild west marketplace of ideas uh, you know they want to eliminate ideas and language that they see as harmful but i view that as harmful you know well this is a very korea centric uh joke so we might have to cut this but i still we're just hearing you talk about being in korea I thought wouldn't it be a great comedy skit if you did something about like um like the woke Ajashi like hanging out at the bar with his friends. <laughs> that, that's just a great premise. I'll leave it at that. Like those we do have listeners in Korea. I see the stats. So for those in Korea, I don't know. I thought that'd be like, you know, just trying to explain to his friends about different um woke perspectives. I think that'd be a great skit. Um I mean, not to go down too much of a different road here, but this idea of microaggressions, you know? which I find one of the um, the more kind of annoying and ridiculous sort of amplifications of woke culture. I mean, and, and not, not, and that's not to say these don't exist. Microaggressions are when our small aggressions are small ways that people remind you of your otherness. Yeah? Right. Which I just like to call grandma racism. <laughs> you know, or like, you know, or basically it's social cluelessness with some bias and racism behind it. But I mean, and aggression is like is hostile. It's an act of hostility. So can it be micro? I mean, sure. I guess if you if you flip somebody off or you mouth fuck you to them, that's kind of a microaggression. But well, and okay. So let me let me let me uh, let me come at this from a little bit of a different uh, you know place here. I guess that I, I I hear what you're saying is that it it, it seems that well it's it's ill defined right. In in perhaps microaggression isn't the right term. No, it's not. Not another, another way. Wrong term. It's re, it's a way to amplify well, your victimhood. Oh my god, I was okay. aggressive against. No, okay, well, you want to let me let me paint a different like put it in a different light. And I'm not saying this is going to sell you, but I think there's another way to think about this this concept of a microaggression or um, what have you. Uh, is that um, you know. A lot of Americans in minority groups, um, particularly black Americans, but certainly not exclusively, are persistently when, you know, moving through kind of white areas, white spaces, to use the uh, lingua franca, um, right, are consistently encounter a host of perhaps mild to even potentially um, benevolent things that are uh, constantly pointing out their difference or distinction or asking them to kind of speak representatively, you know, I mean, just like, and that's something that I think is hard to, because of course, like there are the most serious things about violence and, and we just saw this horrible tragedy in Atlanta and, and these things are, um, stand out as their, as, as massive tragedies. Um, and, and we can think in the U S for, for, you know, with, with the black, American population, Native Americans, just you know, horrific, awful, violent stuff. Um, but there's also another side of it where there's just this kind of banal, but yet kind of tiresome everyday and experience of this. And this is something where, again, 
I feel like I have um, somewhat of a window in, and I, I don't, I'm about to get, I don't want to get canceled myself. I'm not saying I, I know or, or have some like, you know, deep knowledge, but just something I was able to observe in, in real time um, because I, I grew up in a mostly black city and neighborhood and it can be just annoying, right? I mean, just simple, yeah, just simple shit. I mean, I know, but I mean, I'm just saying like, you get, you meet, you get introduced to like a group of white guys and then he's like, you know what? My favorite golfer. I love that Tiger Woods. Just shit. I mean, look, I hear what you're saying. It's like, well, that's okay. That's dumb. But it's like, if you deal with that for years, you know? Well, I do deal with it for years. And again, I'm not trying to say my experience right. is at all like black Americans because it's without the, you know, history of racism and to, to the, my limited white way. And of course, I, my, my whiteness games, gains me so many more privileges than mm. deficits here in Korea. But I right. do understand what it is to be constantly reminded of your otherness day in and day out. I get that. And that's why I'm bringing this up. Because I, I can empathize, but it's they're not aggressions, you know. In Korea, they have a thing called nunchi, which is you know nunchi, which is social awareness, which is reading the room. And often, these microaggressions are people who just aren't reading. Rather than to get dig into these things, I think one thing I want to do is take a step back and say, well, what is another take on this? Is that we've had a lot of voices in America that, um, at least in terms of public culture, have been silenced, ignored, kind of left out and a lot of these voices are now entering the fray and what if this is just a transition period where a lot of shit is getting sorted out and it's it and i'm not saying that that makes it better for someone who unfairly gets canceled or you know targeted or or what have you but i mean that that is a perhaps a, an explanation at least in part for what's going on what do you think about that i mean well that's, i mean that's i do agree could... with you and there are more voices joining the you know the public conversation and this is great we, we in, in the usa we need this uh, we need the people who are telling the stories to mirror what the people who are living the lives look like and i and so i you know i i applaud this of course i'm for this but i just I cannot applaud attacks on free expression and free speech, and and they're happening all over the place. But I, okay, so this is what I'm gonna pu- I'm gonna push back uh, on you a little bit here, and because ridic- I think and, you and attacks for ridiculous transgression. Okay, no? okay. So and here's okay. So this is good because I think this is where I and I'm saying I I really am uh conflicted i mean one thing that that i think where i i bring this is i've i'm puzzled i don't know what what the right answer is because i definitely think that there are certain kinds of discourses and and confrontations going on that are important and necessary and um a long time overdue but i do think there is a, a danger of kind of like you said just someone's like having their life and career like eviscerated in a matter of like hours right and so I, and I don't like either of those. I, I mean, in one level, I think one is, is a positive force and I think another is, is negative. And, I, and I'm not sure how these pieces like fit together. Um, and I'm still kind of sorting through it, but I, I do want to, I think you said like, I, I, I'm for free expression, but I think to be a bit provocative, I would say, I would say you're not. I would say, I would say that if, if like a senator got up tomorrow or, and, and, or was recorded, Saying like I hate all the n words and I hate all like all others and, and they should get shipped back to their countries and they're dirty and awful. Of course, um, of course. I, I think you would say, well, that person should resign. So no, he's no, 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 he didn't do any. 
or be, no, no, that, be fired, you know, they should be removed, of course. Right, right. Okay, so, th- so what I'm saying is... Not a, I'm not arguing there aren't. So that, and this is where I'm getting, so this is really what I think the debate is, is, is and, it, and you mentioned that I'm not saying, I'm not, put, when I say, like, we're trying to define, like, where to draw the line, I'm not, that, that's not a Pollyannish take. I mean, that's, politics is about power, about influence, about trying to shape other people's attitudes, well, shape mean, political Let's talk about specific things here. I mean, what, what about, you know, Donald McNeil Jr. at the New York Times? This was a story a couple months ago. This guy had been working there since the 70s. He was their star health reporter. He reported on COVID-19 for the last year. Was, was up for a Pulitzer, all right? This guy uh, in 2016 did a high school trip with some students to Peru. It was a I read about this, yeah. program yeah, yeah, where yeah. the kids could pay like $10,000 a head. The rich kid. And you get to have yeah. a mentor on the trip, like a, somebody from media or a CEO that you travel with and you'd have di- meals with. Right. By the way, just to just to hop in here, I, I did read like kind of the the explainer on this, and um, to me, I laughed uh, in my mind endlessly at the thought of these like super um, bougie like kids at these elite private schools, um, and this like grizzled old like <laughs> reporter. Yeah, this guy's an old reporter. Yeah, like you know, <laughs> I that that. Yeah, I mean, you know, probably not a touchy feely guy. Okay, <laughs> so. So they're in Peru eating one night, and maybe he has a little too much pisco, you know, which is the local firewater there. But they start talking about racism and everything, and he says the N-word. He says the N-word in context while talking about the N-word. And, you know, after the trip, uh, I guess, I mean, students were aghast at the table, and then uh, they complained after the trip, and nothing really came of it. And then Political got a hold of the story. Uh, a few months ago, they blew it up. The New York Times found out the political is going to run it, called him on the carpet. He's like, listen, I said it in context. We're just talking about racism. Nothing here. And the editor's like, okay, yeah, that should be no problem. But then the newsroom starts to hear about it. And these guys in the newsroom, the rank and file, these are young journalists, you know, straight out of journalism school in their 20s and 30s. And they revolted. They said, get rid of this guy. Now, I have a feeling this guy had already been stepping on toes anyway. But he represented this old sort of stodgy, you know, curmudgeonly white reporter, you know, this sort of culture, perhaps. And uh, mm-hmm. then the, the editor who had his back ended up, you know, changing sides and threw him under the bus. And this guy, he didn't get fired, but he ended up resigning just because there was so much pressure. His position became untenable. And this was one of their long-term reporters. He gets fired for saying the N-word in context. Not calling somebody the N-word, not using it as a pejorative, just clinically talking about it on supposedly an educational trip where he was paid to talk to kids about events. I mean, this is, I mean, this is ridiculous. Now, I guess this could be an extreme example. People say it's an outlier, but I mean, uh, there, there are more examples of this kind of thing. And so this is where I go, whoa, wait a minute. Right. Okay. Um, but. I think an, another way we could, yeah, no, so, and I think, you know, the, the, we can go through a litany of these, like the, the, the New York Times reporter, um, we can talk about the uh, to-do at Smith College. Yes, um, I have, uh, you know, Brett Weinstein at the Evergreen State College, there's a, okay. Alf, Adolf Reed, a black Marxist scholar at the University of Pennsylvania, was hmm. slated to speak for the Democratic Socialists of America in New York, but he wanted, to, his point, he was going to make that we shouldn't focus too much on how black people are disproportionately hit by uh, COVID-19, but should talk more about 
uh, the working class in general. They, they, you know, they canceled the speech. They kicked them off. They, because they don't want to hear about these issues again. So we're not canceling people as much as we're canceling ideas that we don't want to hear about. And that's what, what, what rubs me the wrong. Sure. But I mean, but what, what, and so this is, and this is where, again, I think we, we, we run into some, you know, there's more complexity because, okay, when you talk about these specific instances, to me, that's graspable. And, and I think that's why these stories are covered. And, and in some ways, of course, the New York Times is a major publication and we get that and so forth. Um, but these are specific organizations and specific individuals making decisions in specific context, right? And so that's one thing, right? Like the, the Democratic Socialists of America disinvited this guy, right? Yeah, a black so that's a scholar. Respected guy. Right, right. Okay. So, but that is not, that's different than positing that there's some sort of like kind of movement or culture or something that to me that's like where I, I i think it's one thing to talk about these specific instances but it's another to because to me that it, it moves from something that's concrete and and something that that we can say there's specific people in specific institutions that saw certain incentives to make decisions for x y and z reason and they did um yeah, but, but when we put it together it creates a narrative i mean you know that's how that's how these things how we can view when you take hundreds of stories and mm. link the threads together, then you have a bigger story. That- well, isn't this, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe I'm going to upset you, but hey, that's all right. Oh, we're good started, but this, this is my default debate. Right. Yeah. We're, we're, so I'm not yeah, angry, everybody. I, no, no, I know. I, I said that in jest. We're, yeah. Me, yeah we're, 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 we, have a, we have a brotherly bond. So that we can, <laughs> we can, let, me, so let me, but what I'm saying, though, is that in some ways, the fact that these people, as you mentioned, some of them have been people of color. Um, you know, though some of them also the, the, the victims of this have been um, often white men and, and so forth. Um, so it's not, it's not all, um, but almost all of them are people of some prominence, intellectual prominence, um, celebrity prominence. And well, the ones that get reported on, sure. Right. Okay. I so the Smith College one, those are working class people. Yeah. And that's, the, but by and large, what I'm saying is think about in terms of if we're talking about people being canceled or mistreated, think about you know, the amount of black men being like shunted through the judicial system and put in jail or yeah, comments that, that too. Yeah. But yeah, but, and that people get at work and, and people who are never hired or never have their resume looked at because they have a quote unquote black sounding name and, and all of these things that like but those aren't gonna get a lot of autism here, Kevin. You know? Well, I'm not I'm not no, I'm not. I'm just <laughs> saying that that no, I'm not. What I'm saying is if you put a magnifying glass on certain things and and not on others, then the things you put a magnifying glass on are going to seem like the much bigger issue. Okay, fair play. That is, I mean, I I regret you that. But I mean, you're also kind of making the position that the ACLU lawyer uh, in the Smith College case, which we we don't really need to get into the details of that, but um, uh, there was... Uh, well, and I should say full disclosure here. Uh, I'll, I'll do a reverse full disclosure. Yeah, I thought what happened to that woman, particularly the you know a lot of the workers there, but particularly the woman who worked in the cafeteria, to be abhorrent. And it was abhorrent. Yeah, she was accused yeah, so of racism not, when she was just serving potatoes. She had no involvement with the incident. Right. But so late, no, I, later, this girl put her information on Facebook and ruined her life. Right. And then the ACLU lawyer who was representing the girl, the student, basically just said, "Well." Uh, if some people's lives get ruined, so what? It's not as bad as racism. That was that was his response. That that basically he was you know he was aping 
the the Mao Tse Tung line. You know, you can't make an omelet without breaking legs. You know, right? But don't we make that calculation about a lot of things? Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I mean, nothing, um, there's no way nothing is is harm free. Okay, right? I can break. Um, but I, I mean, I, you know, I, I think that that what happened to that woman was uh, awful. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, that's kind of just to, as a, as a preface. I'm not. I'm not here trying to be, you know, offer an apologia for these specific transgressions. What I'm pushing back against, though, is the notion that there's an easy answer. I mean, what, and this is, and so maybe, and I, and I, well, know, I'm, this not, is, I, I'm not sure if anyone is claiming there's an easy answer. Well, it seems to me, and seeing the, the discourse out there, it seems to me that people are pretty confident that something is clearly a transgression that deserves someone to be canceled. They're pretty confident about that. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, you know, or, they're, they're confident that someone is innocent of everything and does not deserve what's coming on them. And I, yeah, this is I, natural polarization, especially right. with cultural issues. But it's I mean, but I think, think wouldn't, wouldn't I, I mean, what I'm, and this is probably why I'm never going to have any influence. What about the call for humility? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that 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 gets a lot of hits, doesn't it? You, the, the humility hit. Uh, I mean, isn't that what they? I mean, in, in in some ways, and this is where I find you know, a, as a, as an as with you and a, a fairly avowed quote unquote leftist, whatever that means anymore. Yeah, I know. Knows. But um, I'm I'm concerned because I think once we you know what we're ending up in a situation is where we're all kind of creating. A bunch of bogeymen and women, I guess. Yeah. You know, because uh, like, you know, you go to like woke university, and they're they're going to sit here and like, let's just let's put it all out there. And be like, look, oh yeah, this older white guy, middle aged white guy, is upset about this. Look at him; he doesn't want to give up his power, right? And then yeah. you know, you're, you're you and in in people that kind of you know take you know your view are going to be like, look at these young kids; they just they you know they just want to cancel everybody and stifle everybody. And you know what? And and I and I I firmly believe this. I'm not saying universally, but I'm saying I could put you and and, and myself and some people who think like this and and take some kind of quote unquote far progressive university students. You know what? I bet there's a lot of common ground there, and it's not it's not like these mutual twin forces. And in, in, in that, well, if you look especially at if, health, we, if we sit down and we talk in person, right? You know, like that, if, that's humans what, tend to make progress when they do it in person. Put people on the internet, and it's you know internecine warfare. You know? Right. It's just it's like you know, and it, and it, it it's um, my friend was really into um, reading uh, whatever. <laughs> such a nerd. I was about to call it the secondary literature, um, <laughs> fan fiction, Star Wars fan. Like, I'm sorry. You need better friends, Captain. Right. Fair <laughs> enough. Okay. So look, you might that could be like cost us a third of our listenership right there. I'm, I'm, I'm taking that out. Um, I like Star Wars, okay? Yeah, um, I mean so, No, but no, he he read he told me like one of the novels he read in this kind of fan fiction universe was um a kind of different tale of um Luke Skywalker and it, it's the same idea, the hero's quest and you know, he finally does like find Darth Vader and he takes him down and then he like steps into a room with the emperor. And then like on the screen, it, it becomes clear that there's like 10,000 or 100,000 Darth Vader, you know, and that's kind of to me is like a metaphor for this. I think we're all, everyone has this idea that there's like this one kind of evil and, but yeah. it's really like, we're just going to be constantly slaying. And, and to me, I guess my view, and again, I'm not saying this in like a, a 
kumbaya Pollyannish sort of way, but I, I'm saying in a, in a sense of like, I worry about like a circular circular firing squad amongst people who are going to go to bat for racial justice, for better working conditions, for the right to unionize, for better health care. Well, there we go. This now now you're talking my language. Why? Right, but I this? but I but I think the the point that in America at least. That is something that, dare I say, critical race theory has been good in, in, in some forms of bringing to the fore that these things can't be disaggregated. And I'll tell you one study that I thought was really helpful um, and really important that demonstrated that there's a pretty clear... So what they found is that the, a lot of social services in the United States are provided at the state level. Well, they didn't find that. Like what, what they, they kind of thought about and they framed it that way, right? There's a lot of social services that are provided by states rather than the federal government, right? And what they found through a rigorous kind of statistical analysis is that the generosity, the relative generosity of state provisions is not explained by the state's ideology, quote unquote, red or blue. But the most significant factor was the size of minority and and more specifically black population within that state. Interesting. Always a way to say that like these things, and that's something that I think I'm not saying all critical race theory is great. I, I can't defend it. I mean, it's a massive amount of work. But like, that's the kind of thing where they're saying you can't disaggregate these things in the U.S. context. Well, we need to study race, and we and it. And I mean, it always must be a consideration in our country because it, it's part of the fabric of hmm. how the country started, and we're a multicultural society, but also one that was built on genocide and slavery, and that that cannot right. be forgotten, and that needs to always be remembered. So, I mean. I'm just against attacks on free speech and like ripping people down, and when when this stuff's used as as kind of a a, a saber of power for power's sake, you know. I, I can't. And, I, and I, I keep circling back to this because I I I think this is I'm not doing it to be um, needling. I mean, I, I'm saying because I think th- I want to keep pointing to this point of clarification that you you think in some cases, but in some cases maybe not. I mean, I think you would agree like. And this isn't. Um, um, this is obviously um, in terms of, of sexual abuse. Uh, Harvey Weinstein. I mean, that guy was an absolute monster. Sure. And should have been deposed from whatever power he had. Well, yeah, I, there, I, there is stuff that we would call woke that I absolutely agree with. Right. Uh, you know. So, me, and I will. That, but this is. I want to push it because this is really the question. Like, where do we draw that line? And I'm not saying like that's not some. To me, that's not like some abstract philosophical question. That is the question of well, like. I will what, tell you straight up right now it? the stuff I agree with that you might call woke. Uh, number one, <laughs> I, I believe. <laughs> Terms of list of woke. Man. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That, that I'm right on with. That I co-sign on, on on these social justice woke. Okay. Uh, yeah, attempts at equity. Number one, I rip down all statues from the Confederate. Okay. Yeah. Tear them all down, every single one. Rename any public space or school named after uh, somebody from the Confederacy. No more Robert E. Lee High School. No more building named after General Forrest, you know? All I can change now, I shit you not, because I, I had an apartment that was on Jefferson Davis Highway in Virginia yeah. when I was in college. Uh-uh. Yeah. No shit. Jefferson yeah, no, Davis Highway. No Confederate flags on public land or in public space. Uh, also, any racist mascots. For sports teams, get rid of that shit. Washington Redskins, they got rid of that long overdue Cleveland Indians. I guess now they're getting rid of that. Yeah. Also, right. even some of the, the rituals that go with that. I was at 
years ago at an Atlanta Braves game, you know, 10,000 overweight white people doing the tomahawk chant. It wasn't a good look. You know, no. get rid of that shit. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. Also, the, this Dr. Seuss shit that people are up in arms about. Yeah, the company that owns the rights to Dr. Seuss books that still publishes them, they have books with, you know, you know, coolie Chinaman, with, uh, slitty-eyed, like terrible stereotypes. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's time to phase those out. Yeah, same with the old Warner Brothers cartoon, you know. Be a good citizen. Report a chap. Yeah, no. God. You know what I mean? It's like we don't need this stuff anymore. So uh, I agree that we need to change as a society and that we need to, like, relegate things that, 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 are, that run afoul of modern sensibilities. So I, I'm not an absolutist on this stuff. No, and I, but I just, and so why, and why I keep pressing on this, like, line, because I think that gets to, and, and I think that I, if I had someone on, on here who was defending, like, full board, like, woke social justice warrior position, I'd be pushing that guest in the same way, right? Like, well, where do you draw the line? Like, everyone shouldn't be canceled. Like, you know, if, if you know, if I did something bad when I was in fourth grade, or if I, when I was a third grader, if I did something, you know, and so I would be doing the opposite, you know, so I'm not, this isn't like a, um, a critique specifically in, in kind of the point you're making, but I think it's more this, it illuminates the complexity of trying to at once maintain a space where people feel comfortable to express themselves and to not feel that like one mishap or one kind of false step is going to, you know, blow up their careers or their personal yeah. lives. Well, that's the problem right? here. Yeah. But there's a culture of fear. People, a lot of people <laughs> are, are against this shit and they won't speak out. Right. But we, there's also needs to be a place to say like some shit that you, that we used to think was, you know, we, um, and, and this is probably, we could probably say we're referring to largely the white majority, if not, you know, specifically white men think was okay is is actually not okay and that was in incorporated in a lot of things you said well it's great right? you, see, so, you see it in comedy a lot too and, and, and i know you dabbled in stand-up i did it for years just um a little bit in the states i did improv comedy professionally for a long time too and right. so i i've seen since from, from about 1993 when i got involved on stage doing comedy in one way or the other to you know within the last couple of years when I stopped doing it, uh, I really saw the sort of the evolution of what you could get away with and what you couldn't. And that's a really good barometer as to where we are uh, as a society. And um, like in the 90s, you can get away with anything. It was just like open season. It was Wild West and it was liberating fun. But also people were doing a lot of just shock comedy. People were punching down. There was a lot of misogynistic jokes, you know, or... Uh, you know, uh, disabled people, you know, there was always part of that too, which sucked or just poor people. What I want to do, let me put, let me put some more cards on the table. here. Well, I think what I'm trying to get at here is like, what if we took kind of rather than like making some amorphous person that's just trying to go out and destroy people for power or something? What, what if we acknowledge that a lot of the people that are at the forefront of some of these movements to change how we talk or change kind of some terminology or to have us reflect more upon kind of how our interactions are shaped by racial or gender dynamics and so forth. What if we say, well, you know what, 
like they're getting some things wrong, but they're they're acting in in pretty good faith. They're trying they're trying to do something good and and. Well, what, I mean, I guess how does that filter yeah, change? I mean, it doesn't matter if you're acting in good faith. I mean, people could say, you know, right. fascists thought they were acting in good faith by you know instilling national pride. I'm not going to go say the N word here. Not not the N word for black people, but the N word for Germans into a certain. You know, I'm not going to violate Godwin's law, but I mean, few few people set out in bad faith. Where I, you know, I I want to do harm today. Most people think they're doing something good, but that doesn't matter if if right. the effect is terrible, does it? I guess what I'm saying is, like, for instance, like I I disagree uh, with some of the things you're saying, but I think you're bringing good faith to this, and that is allowing us to have an interesting and thoughtful discussion. Yeah, That's what I mean. And I agree with you. I mean, that we need to. The lines are different. Like back to comedy, of for a while, many people were doing jokes, and and I'll say the word. You can still kind of say it without getting canceled. Uh, you know, retard. They'd say retard for whatever reason, and then and you could still say retard and get laughs in it. Comedy jokes, and then it w- it was just like one day, those jokes stopped working. People wouldn't laugh at it anymore. It was overnight, and you had to stop. You can mm. complain about it as a comedian. Oh, these younger kids, they got their assholes so tight, you can't say retard anymore, but you, you just couldn't. And then when you think about it, probably that's a good thing. Probably we shouldn't refer to people with mental, developmental disabilities with that word. And, and right. it, probably made, it probably made the comedy club a better place. But then also somebody uh, like our buddy Sam would, would do a routine where he'd talk about racism in Korea, and the Koreans say, oh, racism is black man, you know, the white man hits the black man. And Sam would say, yes, but I mean, that's an example, but racism isn't an event, you know, it's ongoing. Right. And that was a good joke. It used to get less, but then Sam stopped getting less in that joke too. Because just as a white guy talking about racism, suddenly the Wokies, did, it's like, oh, you don't have permission to even talk about it. Right. And that's, the, you know, so I don't, I don't agree with that. Like, you, where there are buzzwords that no matter what the context, you only certain people can even address these buzzwords. Or if you say the buzzwords, even if you're punching up and, and attacking oppressors, people have mm. no sense of context or irony to where they just shut down because you said a word. And that's what's happening with, I think, a lot of the young people and woke culture. Woke culture is like, I wouldn't say desensitizing, it's sensitized people, mm. overly sensitizing to where they become desensitized, where they don't even think about it anymore. Wow, well, that's an interesting thing. They're overly sensitizing people where they become desensitized to the kind of consequences. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. That's actually a really good, you know, and I think that's a fair point. I just think that we have like two things um, that are in some ways independent of each other, um, by and large, kind of fusing together, and it's creating a, a set of social kind of disturbance or I don't know if disturbance is the right word, but kind of an up, an upheaval, a social upheaval. Uh, and on the one hand, we do have, um, and this has been a long march. I mean, you could, you could probably go back to the 60s and 50s. I mean, I, go, you know, where do you draw the line? But at least in terms of official legislation, um, you know, the 64 Civil Rights Act and so forth. But you have an increasing evolution of a lot of voices, and it's not just racial minorities. You can count women, um, sexual minorities, uh, in terms of the LGBTQ community and, and so forth, who have, for whatever reason, been ignored, admonished, kind of ridiculed, um, seen as basically a walking pathology. And these voices are now asserting power 
asserting their voice, um, asserting their perspective. And lo and behold, and, and I'm not saying that this isn't directed at you, honestly. It's like, yeah, that, that perspective is a lot different than um, a middle-aged white guy. Well, to a degree, but I mean, uh, you'll see some of the leading voices in the alt-right now are gay men, you know? Right. So, gay men have largely kind of achieved what they wanted to in, in the States. Not 100%, but largely they have. And so now they can be right-wing if they want. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that, there's, there's other, comp, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's a long kind of, yeah. No, I, I mean, I grant what you said, thing. but I mean, I, I, as, as so, people achieve their power, then hmm. they, you know, maybe not everyone's going to be on board with that. Uh, well, and I think, and I think though, too, in the U.S., if we're talking about um, uh, gay men or, or the, you know, LGBTQ mo- movement more generally, I mean, I think, too, that's a very contingent upon where you are. I mean, if you're. You know, if you're if you're in North Dakota, and I'm not trying to hate on North Dakota, but if you're like, you know, if you're in in even in rural Colorado, like what you know, Western Colorado, it's not an easy life if you're if you come from a queer community. I mean, so let's, you know, if you're in Manhattan or if you're living in you know um, Los Angeles, you know, right, uh, that that's probably going to be you're going to 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 have a probably yeah, can live. Openly. And I'm not claiming uh, all gay people just have it equal and easy but it's much better before their communities especially sure where, well and, where they and have, here, and here we go so and, well, I, and think I think large, but i think largely gay men are, uh, have kind of made it you know well, well and i think and i think this is this is a, a good point and, and you talked about comedy and and i think uh i i read an interview with eddie murphy recently who did some pretty hard stuff oh yeah. Gay material. Jeez, and, yeah, and he and he's and he's and you know he's he doesn't about it, you know, yeah. But yeah, he said, look, that was wrong. It was like, you know, that was, that, that I really, that was distasteful, bad material. And at that time, and this is one thing that I, it, I think is a reason to have a bit of pause. I'm not saying this is a definitive insight or some sort of like definitive, but it's like if you had watched that with, with some people in normal kind of white society, he said, you know what? Like he's coming really hard at, at gays. He's like, man, you're no fun, right? Like at that time, if you're watching that in like '83, like what are you talking I did, about? I, I mean, did watch know. it in '83. I laughed my ass off because I was 13 years <laughs> old. What I'm saying it was is, funny, but even though it was but, pretty evil, you know. What I'm saying is, and, and for, you know, not Eddie Murphy. Take anything, right? Like, um, you had senators in the '70s, you know, drop, you know, saying the N word all all the time, and like sure. you could And at that time, I mean, people who were saying no, you shouldn't say, you you know, you shouldn't say these words. You shouldn't. Um, you shouldn't, you know, trash gay people. You shouldn't demean women. Um, there were voices saying, oh, you're trying to constrain us. I mean, these, this, this isn't, that, that's what I'm saying. This isn't the first iteration of this. Yeah, yeah. Know, that, that there is. And, and that up, is something, up, man. <laughs> right. No. Um, at every period, people who are trying to push things further do encounter these voices of like, you're trying to ruin fun. You're trying to tell everyone what to do. And, a lot of times, not always, right? Those people are vindicated, you know, retrospective, right? Yeah, and, and, and that's where the thing is killjoys and dogmatic uh, little cultists, you know, as red guards from Mao right. China. I mean, that's an extreme example, but some, some of the behavior of the woke mob reminds you of that. And that's also when we're talking about freedom of speech. Uh, there's a few distinctions to make. Uh, number one, when I was growing up, we usually viewed freedom of speech being attacked from the right. Yeah, that the left supported it, but that dynamic has changed now. Most attacks on freedom of speech, at least personal expression, are now coming from the left more mm. than the right. 
And also, I mean, if you, is voting is, I think voting is probably the most important form of speech people well, I mean, have. Yeah, I, I'm talking about expression. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't call voting freedom of speech, but that's definitely under attack. There are, there are definitely ways that uh, freedoms are under attack from the right, and arguably more than the left. But for just speech, right. the, the right I mean, these all, days, because the right says outlandish, evil shit so much, they want it protected, you know? Or complained when, when, when Parler got shut, you know, shut down, you know? But I mean, Parler was, there was a lot of toxic stuff being allowed on that. What, I guess what I'm getting at is that we, there are some things that are part of this movement that maybe fits under, if, you know, for lack of a better term, the quote unquote woke umbrella, which I want to add a little aside about. I mean, I mean, there's a lot going on with that because that term was originally by and large used in the black community to identify someone who had through study and so forth really come to gain a deeper appreciation for the forces that were shaping the, and repressing black people in a lot of urban Absolutely, absolutely yeah. And so, it, it, you know, and, and, and in some ways just, it's it's become like this like a, a somewhat of a flippant dismissal i mean that's what i worry about is that like well it is a bit of a pejorative like, now more than anything because people have gotten it a lot of white liberals have given it a bad name you know or i mean yeah which side of the coin though i mean <laughs> again like i think i think this is again where that can we i'm seeing a lot of the tendencies that people who are pushing against this are adopting similar things where woke is just like you drop the woke card and that shuts down what someone's point is. Yeah. I mean, sure, that happens and, in any sort of tribalistic, you know, right. and environment. I, and I think, and I think that... Because people are sick of it, though. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, it has reached sort of a critical mass where people are like, wait a minute, like, this is getting ridiculous. Well, and I mean, and this is, too, and again, and, and I'm, I'm, this is a point that I, I'm using this example to make a broader point. I mean, a lot of people were quote unquote getting sick of quote unquote uppity black people in the South pushing against e- existing order. I mean, people get yeah, sick of a I, lot I, of I stuff. just, I just, I think it's a bit of a stretch. Like guys marching for, you know, civil rights in right. during Jim Crow to equate them with Twitter mobs shutting down somebody because they tweeted something that upset them 10 years ago. I mean, it is, it's, a, you know, you're, I think that's some gymnastics going out there. It, I think what 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 it, what can fall under this banner though is a lot more than Twitter mobs. That's what I'm saying. That that there are things that going on. Like, and I think you cited some specific outcomes of this. Right? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Like I lived I lived in the D.C. area and, and went to college in the D.C. area, and that was always the pushback against people calling to change the Washington Redskins name. Exactly that. You're just trying to invoke your values. You're trying to control. We, you know, we're Redskins fans, and this is part of our culture. And how dare you come in here and tell? You know what I'm saying? Like that. And so. Like, it, it, I, what I'm pushing against is like just say, like saying like woke Twitter mob end of story. Like, there's well, more to this. That's well, what I'm also, trying to say. I, mean, yeah, I also agree with, with especially probably where I'm most stridently woke is when it comes to the teaching of history. You know, mm. I believe in a robust, unflinching, uh, you know, study of hist of American history, including you know uh, just a very honest appraisal of slavery. And genocide and colonialism, and also uh, suppression of working class movements. You know, basically the Howard Zinn playbook. Like, like a lot of people, Howard Zinn. You know, Howard Zinn's history, people's history of the United States, opened my eyes, and and it's a very woke book, woke in the very good sense. Like, it made me awake to the real story, not the candy coated version that we are so often force fed in, in the high schools of 
the country. So, I mean, again, I just, you know, if it's honest, I'm not really against it. But, uh, but that's a kind of, again, an argument for free speech. Because a lot of the right wants to shut down books like, you know, Zinn's history. The, they took over school boards with fundamentals and these, these mental midgets who just want this rah-rah, isn't everything great, whitewashing of American history. So there, there we go here. So I'm on team woke for that one again. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I mean, and this is the thing, I don't, I, I mean, I, I guess what, what I'm, it's not, and this is, I mean, it's just like, these are things that you agree with that other people agree with, right? It's not, there's no teams. That's what I'm saying. I think <laughs> if, we, if we expand, like, again, if we reduce it to like, you know, a, a few things that happen on Twitter, I think it, in some ways, diminishes a much broader set of social phenomenon that are unfolding. Uh, right? I also and, don't agree. I mean, some old people would say we shouldn't really learn about Thomas Jefferson anymore. You know, that, right? I mean, and Thomas Jefferson was a massively important individual in the development of the United States uh, mm. for for some very good things and some very bad things. But but some people would, would want to you know excise these unsavory characters. You know, which, right? Uh, I don't like. No. Yeah. No, well, and I think, we, and again, that's why I think it doesn't need to be either or. I mean, I think you you can contextualize and say, well, why were these voices elevated? And it's not so simple as like, well, they were just the smartest voices, right? Like you're saying, okay. yeah, you know. And I always and I always make the point that like, you know, Western civilization was spread via barbarity. Yes. Yeah, I mean, if you just look at what you know the British and French did in Africa, or what we the United, you know, the British and the French did to Native Americans. You know, Western civilization was was spread through barbarity, which is, you know, that's a lot to deal with there. And I think, it, you know, it's in that way you're acknowledging the well, fact I, that these I ideas. Think, again, for history, we, we, we need to be steely eyed about this stuff, you know. Right. Yeah. So, well, all, I mean, and in some ways, um, I, all I'm trying to say is that I, I, I think the umbrella of wokeness is far bigger than often it's opponents are willing to admit and 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 i think it can work in the other way i think that um you know it, it's like these one word shutdowns and and i think there's just a new uh, you know kind of like you just say oh well they're you know they're just a retrograde kind of thinker and then like they don't you know it, it, it's like these one or like oh, they're just a <laughs> yeah or they're just like a, and, and and to me one thing that is dangerous about this or not dangerous i guess concerning or problematic potentially is to what extent and, and i don't want this is a bit this is a bit provocative but i i do have a concern not necessarily you but i'm just saying in in general um that a lot of folks are becoming um useful idiots for the don juniors of the world who love to brandish cancel culture yeah right? and that's uh, why and that's why i you know i for a while i was slightly hesitant to post certain articles on Facebook and to sort of come out against the excesses, we could say, of cancel culture or wokeism. But I eventually did. But I don't want, you know, I don't want to be seen as carrying water for the alt-right or just the full-blown right or the, these people that, I, I, you know, I don't want to make common cause with, that I abhor. But, uh, but also, I'm going to speak out against this. And again, again, from the left, you know, I, I think... Uh, a lot of this is very pernicious, and not only is it reductive and humorless and lame and just uh, uber shitty, but it also um, 
it's counterproductive, man. If we want to reach out to working class people and working class people, that includes working class white people. Mm. Um, we need to make efforts to, to include people and not shame them. Like, because listen, if you, if you think to build an effective working class coalition to, to, to achieve greater equality across the board, if you think lecturing, uh, a, a coal miner in West Virginia whose town is ravaged by opioids, whose family is sick from black lung disease. You know, if you think lecturing this guy on his white privilege is going to do anything but hurt your cause, I mean, I mean, you're probably on opioid. It's like you're on crack. I mean, it's this idea of, of demonizing the people that you need on your side is absolutely counterproductive. And it's crazy, and that and it, and that's what's happening left and right. It's become completely okay to um, to go after these people, or, and and to basically just tell, especially working class whites, that they're they're guilty. They have an original sin of whiteness. This white fragility shit that you see, and uh, and a lot of the sensitivity training, and the, where people have to kind of renounce their racism, like these kind of uh, you know North Korean you know self, uh, where you have to confess your your sins and, and, and self-correction seminars. Uh, I think this sort of shit, like when we see this, the white workers at Smith College, uh, this sort of shit is counterproductive. It's completely unhelpful for socialist and broad working class politics. And that's another reason I'm against it because it just doesn't work. This is how Trumps get elected. Okay. Okay. Like, and what's interesting is that I think what you said is exactly the kind of point I'm trying to make in terms of the, you know, <laughs> the counter woke movement vis-a-vis -vis their um, imagined interlocutor, right? Like, like, oh, I think there's a lot of demonization, like everyone has in their mind, it's like some, you know, and there's a gendered component, like some shrilly white girl on like the campus of Brown. That's like, you know, and it's like we make these, like there's these demons being made and demonization. Well, I've, and it's a much I've, I've seen that girl. <laughs> so, well, see, and I'm saying there is, a, and, and, you know, we have to admit there's a gendered component. That's what most people see, like the shrilly woman who just is, you know, you know it. And, and I think, and that's, and that is exactly the point. As you just said, like, do you think telling someone that they're just like, you know, <laughs> to use your term, sorry, humorless and, you know, hell bent on ruining people. I mean, a lot, of, as we mentioned, a lot of these people would share a lot of views and a lot of goals that, quote unquote, the left has. And like telling them that they're humorless and hell bent on power. And, you know, I mean, isn't that also a way to like, and I think, you know, compared to the coal, the coal miner in West Virginia, um, you're going to have a lot more luck trying to get those people to support left values and or left legislation than. I'm not sure. Know. I think coal miners in West Virginia oh, okay, are well. open towards working class legislation if it was okay. uh, presented to them in a way that doesn't belittle them. Okay, well, you know? I mean, what, what about a world where we could do both? I mean, what I'm yeah, saying sure. is just like, like I'd rather have a beer with the guy in West All right, fair enough. But I mean, what I'm saying is like there is a certain demonization and, and uh, characterization that is, and I think it belies. I mean, there. Like the voices in Black Lives Matter are different than the voices of kids who are who like graduated from Andover Academy in Massachusetts, right? I mean, there's there's it's just there's a heterogeneity there that I think is being collapsed into this like singular, you know, um, again in the popular imagination, shrilly white woman on like an Ivy League campus, and I just think that is 
And I'm not saying there isn't, that isn't part of it, but I'm saying it's a much broader set of voices. It's a lot of voices that come from the working class community in Black America who are at the forefront of Black Lives Matter and a lot of these things. And I'm just, that doesn't make them right. Well, you know, Black, Black Lives Matter, and I, I still think enjoys wide popular support as an idea in the United States. Especially after George, George Floyd, it was like 70 or 80% of people were down. Once, once the protests, you know, there are a few fires, some scuffles, those numbers went down a bit, as they always do. But I think the base support for police reform and, and, and just more equitable treatment of black folks, especially when it comes to the criminal justice system, uh, right. enjoys and, and, wide support in the United States. Right. And I'm just down. saying that American history is littered. And, and you know, uh, if we think about another name, if we, if we think about one of the first people to get kind of really publicly canceled, and you said it doesn't, you know, where it comes from. I mean, it was Colin Kaepernick who got canceled sure. out of the NFL. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, I, I mean, and, and what I'm Dixie saying Chicks is. Dixie Chicks got canceled. Remember that shit? Right. Yeah. So, um, what, I, what I'm getting at is that. I think there's a kind of edifice being erected that belies, a, you know, a simplistic edifice being erected that belies a much more complicated set of forces that come from very different perspectives, very different backgrounds, very different places within the socioeconomic spectrum. And like to reduce it to uh, a rich white kid on an Ivy League campus, I think is really, really doing it a disservice um, in terms of this. And and I'm not saying that that doesn't exist. And yeah, it, is it annoying as hell to see like some really super privileged like white student, white guy, and like a know-it-all kid just preaching from like you know their background of privilege and elite education, right? Or Josh Holly or what have you, right? So we, we all get how annoying that is. But I just think that to me, it's like kind of over collapsing, right? And of course, yeah, you can't, of course, when you think about social society and talk about social things, you talk in terms of groups. So I'm not saying like you have to know each individual woke person. But what I'm saying is even if you break it into composite groups, I mean, look, for example, there was a big blow up in the women's march movement. Um, sure. Over yeah. So like, it's it, so what I'm saying is- no, in, a, in lot of, case, a, lot of, a lot of black women, you know, accuse these uh, kind of white women of a Shutting them out, didn't they? Well, and then also the white women, uh, and this goes back to, and, and I'm sorry, I keep, I keep hitting the same, hitting, banging the same drum, but I mean, it, I think it comes up over and over again. That was over. One of the um, black women who was participating had attended lectures by Farrakhan. Oh, yeah, that's one right. Of the, one of the white Jewish. And again, what the debate was over was, does going to a Farrakhan lecture preclude you from being like a leader in this movement? Yes or no? And I'm not here to answer that question. What I'm saying is, even within the left, like these, this is the perennial question. Where does one draw the line? And what I'm saying is that there isn't, we, this is something we can't rely on science for. We can't like use mass, right? We have to kind of hash it out. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And th and through, but through these vigorous debates and these movements and even culture wars to a certain degree, you do reach societal consensus. I mean, th these ideas yes. will do get generally resolved. General. Like, I mean, right. uh, segregation used to be uh, debatable. You know, there's like William right. F. Buckley would have, uh, he'd have uh, a segregationist on his show or, or, you know, Dick Cavett along with, with a, a, you know, Black Panther. And they'd have right. it out. That's no longer a debate. You know, that, the segregation debate's been settled. Yeah? Mm. Even though now some of the woke, uh, in the woke movement, you see this idea of like racial 
you know, low scale racial segregation promoted. Well, and, and I mean, no, and I think that's, and, and this gets into, I mean, I've recently finished a um, recent masterful biography of Malcolm X. I mean, this has been a running debate within the civil rights movement between, um, it's an, I, you know, Malcolm X rejected the term segregationist, but separatist. Malcolm X was a separatist, um, or at least for the early part of his career. Um, and, and again, I think that shows that how one was supposed to kind of engage with and deal with white America. Um, Obviously, Malcolm X um, and, and Martin Luther King and, and others had very different ideas about that. And I think there's a lot of humility that could go around and a lot of not snapping people into demonic groups, like be it like going in whatever way. And, and I think that is a lot of what's happening now. You, you always want to make more light than heat. And so to me, there's just a whole bunch of heat being created and I'm just not seeing a lot of light. Because what, what, what I get confused about is like, well, what's the solution to this? Because I think what I'm, you know, what I'm hearing is, as you've been saying, like, you know, people's speech is being stifled or people feeling like uncomfortable. They can't say certain things. And, and it's are like, being, people are having their lives ruined as well. It is happening. Right. People are getting right, fired. But, people are getting, or, you know, losing any amount of like social, you know, capital they had before. But what, and this goes back to, again, the magnifying glass. I mean, obviously there's a lot of people who are having their lives ruined because, you know, based on factors related to their gender, sexuality, and race. I mean, that is going on. I mean, right now, like, that's not a, that's not, that's not a, like, that's not up, up for questioning. I mean, that's happening as well. Yeah, but it's not I mean, a zero-sum so, game. We can work on both, you know? Right. We well, okay. Uh, yeah. Criminal justice reform while also protecting freedom of speech. Right. But what, what I guess I'm getting at is that this, this is, you know, these things are still happening. I mean, people are, you know, people are being like roughed up by the police. In rural areas, teachers are being fired for like fake reasons because people, someone finds out they're gay or, or like, sure. right? uh, yeah. I mean, these things are still happening, right? Um, or they're being told to like keep their identity I silent. Do, I do. And it's been coming up lately and you just painted this out that like cancel culture on the right has been a thing for a long time time and and it needs to be called out and uh, right and because well, this it can be quite yeah. violent with the conundrum too that i have is that like even if we say like some of the more pernicious manifestations of this or things that we feel are unfair um it is also people exercising their right to speak and this is the where i'm getting at in terms of like remedies as you mentioned with the coal miner in West Virginia, like if your goal is to try to change the discourse and have these people think a little bit more about the consequences or think through before they kind of blow someone up on Twitter or whatever, calling them like just a, uh, an idiot, overly woke, like person who is just, you know, hell bent on power and, and so forth, is probably not a good way to get them to change their behavior because that's all there really is. I mean, I, I'm imagining we don't want, because I mean, the irony is the other, the other way you could try to rein this in is through making really harsh defamation laws, which is actually very chilling for free speech. I live in Korea, a place where the defamation laws are so stringent to where, right. like, like if you see a guy beating his wife in the street and you video it and you, and, and, and you put it up and say, hey, this guy was beating his wife in the street, he can sue you. Even right. though he was beating his wife. Or you, or you just write about it. You say, oh, you know, uh, Kim Min-soo was beating his mm. wife in the street, even if it's true. Hey, well, I'm fucking blocking that out because you know what? Fucking Kim min is going to fucking lawsuit against Case Baltimore. <laughs> let me tell you what, Case Baltimore owns a microphone. That's all we own. That's our <laughs> one asset. It's a couple hundred bucks. So, so the remedy, okay, so I'm, I'm saying, like, I'm imagining you're not for like some, you know, big defamation, expansion of defamation laws. So barring that, 
the solution would be to engage these people and try to, and, and so calling them like overly woke, privileged brats, to me, doesn't seem like, as with your coal miner in West Virginia, it's, it's equally un kind of yeah, productive. I think there are more coal miners in West Virginia than Ivy League. Uh, well, forget about the coal miners. I, I, I think, I think the, the, the most strident voices, I think the most strident voices in, in the woke movement are, are actually, it's actually not that many people. They're amplified through the media and they're amplified through Twitter. The rank right. for most Americans are really not engaged in this. They, most Americans don't really even have a clear idea what this is. They just feel like someone's telling them they can't say something. Of course. Yeah, but I, I always think like there, there's, you know, again, the, yeah, there, there's some things that if you want a job, you shouldn't say. <laughs> so, I mean, like, look, like, I mean, so, yeah, like, don't tell me I can't. Yeah, there's some shit. Like, I'm a teacher. I, you are too. Like, if I say some shit in the classroom, I'll be fired. Yeah, for sure. And I don't feel muzzled, but I just know that there's lines. Well, we're teaching in different countries too, with where the free speech laws are not as robust as. Right. Today. So, I mean, but I'm, I really want to kind of pin you down on this because what I'm saying is like the, if, if we're, are we looking for a solution to this? And it would seem to me, and maybe the, of course, there's always people who are kind of so strident, it's not really in the realm. But if, if, the, if the, the goal here is to try to mitigate some of this, it seems that that's the only road is persuasion. That's the irony, right? Is that, you know, this is it. And so... Well, ideas it, it went seems- out too. And, I, and I, I have a feeling that a lot of the goals of the Wokies are going to win out. Because I just, they have so many young people on board, and these young people going through the universities are, uh, are getting taught that this is the way. And I mean, and I might even flirt with agreeing on the right that it borders on indoctrination at points, you know, where they're not questioning this. You're young and you just, you're taught it over and over again. Uh, so, um, sure, but I mean, some of this is going to be good. We're going to lose some harmful words, but. I don't know. I'm not sure what society is going to look like in 20 or 30 years. It might be a, a lot less interesting. And a lot <laughs> we less don't fun. know. And it's important to always think that the forces that are trying to, to push things forward or to in, expand inclusion are often seen as, again, ruining the fun. And, and maybe some people were at the time too. But ultimately, I think history is vindicated. And that's why I pointed to Eddie Murphy. I mean, I'm sure if you told him at the time that that joke was out of line, he was like, get the fuck out of here. Now, I mean, he really heartfelt. I was like, wow, I, looking back, I realized that that was just not he cool. He was 23 like, was, years old when he recorded but, that. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't like, but what I'm saying is that it shows, I, I, what I'm saying, the variable there is time. That time has a way of and, and I think I just don't want, I think I worry about like a mania that like something, because I, I just, I'm not aware. And, and I was at a quote unquote, you know, I, I got, I went to graduate school at Temple and I, I was not under the impression that a lot of, you know, the students that are being indoctrinated or so forth. I mean, I just think that is a bit overwrought. I mean, I just, I, there, are there, I mean, like it's, everything's a spectrum. Of course, are there professors who have like a really ideological agenda that they're hell bent on like forcing upon the students? Sure. Well, I think certain universities are, are bigger offenders than others too. I mean, right, I probably a lot, right. I'm not sure about Temple, but when you look at the Smiths of the world or the Evergreen State College in my hometown of Olympia, Washington, I mean, those, those are definitely... You know, most students are going to Iowa States and yeah, 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 Old Miss. You know, know? (laughs) I'm not really afraid of wokeism. 
you know, uh, right. catching fire at, uh, you know, maybe the University of Miami. Uh, and I think most faculty members are really interested in, in, are in the business of like encouraging students to really kind of, you know, challenge themselves. And, I, and hope so. I, mean, I hope so. I hope so. I don't, I don't, I just don't, I mean, it, it just, I, I think too, and, and this is something that I'm always kind of skeptical is like, we don't, we just, and two, we're not operating from any sort of like, I, I always thought it'd be great. I um, thinking about, you know, preparing for this episode to like have someone make like a cancellation data set. Like, let's get some data. I mean, these are things well, that, we know about. Yeah. And like, let's, like, let's see what's really happening. Well, I bet, you know, sociologists must be studying this right now. They have to be. They should. Ooh, the, dude, the cancellation data set needs to happen. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's not I my mean, spiel. As, as much as you can quantify this, but I mean, how many people have lost jobs because of things they said? I mean, you should be able to get some sort of raw numbers from it. Yeah. Um, I mean, well, it's probably yeah. small. I mean, is it, sorry, I mean, is it, again, I'm in Korea. Am right. I getting this warp amplified view of this because of, uh, of confirmation bias and, you know, my clicking on the stories that I want to see? But also, I have friends back home that are saying, oh, it's so bad. It's worse than you think. And then I have other people saying, ah, sh shut up. It, things aren't that bad. Just uh, you're an old white guy afraid of losing <laughs> your power, you know? Well, I would say I don't. I'm a, I wouldn't impute those motivations, but I would say I'd be more in the camp of like I just think it's a bit of a mania going on, and and I think again a lot of the tendencies that the, you know, and this is not um, surprising. Like a lot of the tendencies that are ascribed to the wokest, the anti wokest are taking up, like finding boogeyman everywhere, and you know, seeing kind of um, ill motivations in everything. Oh, what's it? I mean, you know, you look in publishing, it's. Uh... It's pretty right. pervasive in media. I mean, the New York Times had two newsroom revolts just over free speech issues, you know. Right. Um, well, Hatchet, the publisher Hatchet, you know, uh, they had a, a office revolt because they were going to put out Woody Allen's autobiography. And, uh, you know, and the, I mean, the ink had been dried in the contract. It was a long-term thing. And then suddenly people got upset about it and they dropped it, you know. I mean, I, this is happening. Well, the case of Altamira newsroom has one um, employee, and I'm not going to fire myself as far as I know. <laughs> All right. Well, Chris Starb, um, I, I think we, we're going to have to have you back on. Um, this has been an awesome discussion, and I think it, it's really good to hear um, people kind of in, quote unquote, good faith. I don't know. That's kind of a buzzword now, too, to just, to just hash things out and have, it, and have a chat. Um, well, well, I kind of came in here. I wanted to kind of get some talking points in, but actually, I, I've seeded a little ground here, Kevin. I will say right. that. I've, uh, right. I willingly yeah. cede a bit of ground, and I'm a. Uh, yeah, I, I like your point you make about that this is a much larger thing with, with some good elements. You know, it's not right. just a, a, a binary war, but d don't expect that on my Facebook anytime soon. <laughs> All right, well, Chris Starb, uh, love to you always, man. Thank you so much uh, for coming on, and I'm dead serious. Uh, we will uh, have you back. Uh, cheers, Kevin. My, my pleasure. Right, take care. Bye-bye.